Amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, let's jump right into this uh, second part of this, this series, this teaching series, The Tree of Life. Pull out your uh, message outline in your worship folder, and we're going to dive right in. Genesis 2.9, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And remember from last week, these two trees represent uh, two environments. They, t- they represent two different cultures. They represent the conditions in which things grow and in which they exist. And we're given the choice which one we're going to live in. The environment built around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil carries victimization and shame. But the characteristics of the tree of life are innocence and freedom. That's what your heart and life look like, innocence and freedom. If you're living out of the tree of life, if you're living in God's environment, God's culture, So now the question becomes, how do we become life-giving people? How do we become life-giving people? Have you ever noticed that when you've been around a person that is life-giving, you just feel full? There's a little bit more joy, there's a little bit more peace, you're a little bit more optimistic, you're a little more positive. When you've spent time with someone who's full of life, you leave that encounter feeling like there's been a deposit made into your life. My mom is one of these people for me. Whenever I leave an encounter with my mom, I just feel a little bit more full, uh, like there's been a deposit made into my life. But when you've been around a person who's living in the environment of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you feel what? You feel drained. They're not life-giving, they're life-draining. You enter into their environment and it's just, it's pretty negative because deep down, they're measuring their life based on what they've done and what they haven't done, what they've accomplished and what they haven't accomplished, what they, what they have and what they don't have. They look around at, at other people and they think, why can't I have that? Why can't I be like that? What more do I have to do? What's wrong with me? And there are some who, who they just feel like their life is being weighed against some type of checklist, that there's a list and, and, and they're not, filling it like they need to be filling it. And well, I want you to know, we want you to know that Jesus accomplished everything that was on your list. Yeah, God did have a checklist for you, but Jesus Christ fulfilled it. It's not that the list is diminished or or destroyed or, or discredited. It's done. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. It's completed. So now when God sees you, He doesn't see a shortfall. He doesn't see someone that didn't fill out everything on the list, that didn't make it through the list. He's not comparing you to that list anymore. He's not comparing you to himself. And if we really recognize that, if we really believe that, guess what? We become life-giving people. So we continue this series in Galatians chapter 2. Paul is writing to a group of people, remember, that were converted, and they had given their lives to Christ. But then a group of religious folks came in and stepped in and began to teach them that to believe in Jesus wasn't enough. To believe in Jesus and to repent and to devote yourself to him, 
that wasn't enough. There's, they're saying there's a list out there and you need to start checking some stuff off the list. And we're not here to just beat up on those religious leaders because there's a tendency for all of us today to enter into that, to, to start comparing ourselves to a list and, and we pull out things and start comparing ourselves with them. Measure ourselves by what we do and what we don't do. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas's jailer asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that is the question that people ask over and over again. We all at times feel like there's something, and there's something I need to do to be saved. And I would say to you, Jesus did what must be done for you to be saved. That's why they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, Galatians chapter 2 is really fascinating because it's the story of the Apostle Paul going to Jerusalem to speak to the leaders of this group that was going around and pulling out this expired list and holding it up against believers. And in this chapter, we're introduced to a powerful word. It is a word, it is, let me just get there. Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. What is justified? That first blank there. It's just, oh, did you think I missed that blank? I saw a lot of you freaking out. I don't have all my fill-ins now. (laughs) Justified. It's just as if I'd Never done it. Just as if I'd never done it. We were all in debt. Okay, there was a debt hanging over our lives. It was the debt of sin. There was a list. We fell short of it. We didn't measure up. There was an outstanding payment. But the debt was paid. Jesus paid it for us. And that's huge. I fear that a lot of us think that God just forgot about our sin. He looked at us, he looked at the list, he looked at himself, he looked at us, he said, no worries, never mind, don't worry about it, we're all good now. No, the debt was paid. Do you want to know how big this debt was? The payment took Jesus' life. It was taken out of his back. It put holes in his hands and feet. It put scars on his head. It drained his blood. The payment cost Jesus his life. He suffered what we should have suffered. He took your place. He paid it with his very own blood. And now it's just as if you never fell short. That thing that you did that you're so ashamed of, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is just as though you'd never done it. And that is so powerful. And and honestly, I could just preach on that for a long time, but there's more to it. Okay, justification, you you know, what we've said so far, it, it only takes you so far. But justification just doesn't take you to the place where you'd never done wrong. It gets even better. Justified means it's just as if I'd done it. It, it, So it's just as if I had been righteous. It's just as if I were righteous. This is so good. Not only has your debt been covered, but now you have a bank account that has deposits in it that you didn't make, that you didn't work for, that you didn't strive for, and an, an increase 
that you didn't make happen. Not only was your unrighteousness cleaned up, but now you're counted as righteous. Here's how this plays out. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not going to just make it into heaven. You're not going to just slip in as the gate closes and the bell rings and you're just going to make it and sit down and, whew, I made it. No, if you believe in Jesus Christ, they're rolling out the red carpet for you. They're getting ready for you. This is huge. This is justification. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus said over in John 14, he says, don't worry, this is my Father we're talking about here. This place is huge. There's plenty of room. Okay, when I go, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the angels celebrate and Jesus starts preparing a place for you because he wants you with him. You're not going to just make it. They're getting ready for you. I mean, that is awesome. God is counting you righteous because of Jesus. Look at Galatians 3, 6 with me. It says, consider Abraham. Many would consider Abraham to be a really great guy, to be a man of righteousness. It says here, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He wasn't righteous. He was credited as being righteous. Listen, Abraham didn't make it into this book because he's something special. Because he had something really special going for him that you don't. He made it into this book because God credited him, credited him as being righteous. This is a game changer. I mean, the only reason we're going to sing the songs of Abraham is because of God. It's God's works. It's God's good deeds done through Abraham. And today, you need to understand that just like Abraham, God sees your account as full. Even if you think there's nothing there, Today, you didn't come to church to fill your account. It's already full. And this brings incredible freedom because I don't live for me anymore. I don't live to check things off my list. I don't give of my time and my money and my talent. And, and I, don't, I don't witness. I don't work to love my family well to earn a right standing with God. I do those things because they're the fruit of someone who's been given life from God, who really believes this stuff. It's a game ch- it changes our motivation. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we think about our Christian walk. Now, in just a second here, we're going to start breaking down Galatians 2. And in the process of doing that, I'm actually going to give you a list. And I realize the irony of that. And it's, it can get dangerous because you could take this list and say, well, these are the new rules. Here's the new list, the things I got to do. No, that's not what this list is. These are given to you so you can better understand what a life-giving person looks like and what a life-giving environment, what that really is. Once we get this process going, the next step is to learn how to deal with people. Once you get into a relationship with God, you've got to deal with yourself and you've got to deal with people. And it's easy to be criticized or become critical or, or to be judged or become judgmental or to compare yourself to others. So here we go. How do you become a life-giving person? Number one, avoid working to please people. Write that in. Avoid working to please people. 
Let's jump into this story. Galatians 2, verse 1. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So there was this group of leaders that camped out in Jerusalem, and Paul decided to go and tell them the gospel that was revealed to him. Catch is, he wasn't invited. They're not expecting him to come and and do this because he wasn't going there to please them. It was a really wise move here by Paul to take the young preacher Titus with him because the question at this meeting would be, are people saved by the grace of God or do they need to come under the law to be saved? So Paul brought Titus. Exhibit A, would Titus the Gentile need to come under these customs and this law to be saved? So they go and they boldly preach the gospel. Verse 6, as for those who seem to be important, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. He's saying they were in agreement. The gospel that was revealed to Paul and the gospel that was told to these apostles from Jesus lined up. They were the same thing. And I love the tension that Paul is holding here, the balance that he's walking. Because he goes on to say that Peter, James, and John recognized the gifts that God had given to Paul, and they accepted Paul and Barnabas as their co-workers. So Paul's goal was, yes, to please God, and in the process, guess what? He's honoring men. I mean, if the apostle Paul submitted himself to authority, asked for permission before starting his ministry, we should probably do the same thing. But our goal in that is to please God. And I promise you, if you live for God you will minister life and freedom everywhere you go all the time. If you seek to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will become a life-giving person. Trying to please all the different people in your life is going to wear you out. If you please God, you've done what ultimately matters, and the people that matter are going to be pleased with you as well. If we're going to be life-giving people, number two, we've got to avoid getting distracted. Avoid getting distracted. Paul was with the apostles in Jerusalem. Now we're shifting gears. He's up in Antioch. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Here's what's going on here. They had established in this environment in Antioch two tables. And one was the Gentile table, and another one was the kosher table, appealing to the law. And Paul was a Jew, but he ate at the Gentile table because his, he would say, whether you eat meat or not, it doesn't make a difference. Meat won't commend you to God. So Peter came up to visit Paul, and this is a new experience for Peter. Because even though he had been converted, he had never eaten anything unclean. So Peter comes to visit, and he says, Paul, I noticed that you eat at the Gentile table. Well, yeah. Well, I noticed that you eat pork. Is it good? Yeah, it's delicious. (laughs) Well, do you think it's okay if I eat over there? 
Paul says it doesn't make any difference. Meat is not what's making you right with God. Meat won't commend you to God. Yeah, it's fine. So Peter eats with the Gentiles, loves it. They leave then for the next meal. He comes rushing in, but he looks over and he sees these elders that have come to visit. He sees these leaders eating at the other table. So he walks all the way around the Gentile table and beats it back to his other table like a whipped little puppy, and Paul calls him out on it. This is what he says. He says, in Christ we have liberty. I mean, this is Peter. This is the same guy in Acts chapter 10 had a vision from God where God told him to go kill and eat. Peter says, Lord, I can't. God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And that wasn't really about eating. It was about ministry. What Paul is saying is, Peter, you've gotten distracted by this fear in your heart. You're focusing in on what you can do, not on what God has already done and what God is doing. And the question for us today is, what is distracting us? What's distracting you? What is distracting you from having a closer relationship with Jesus? What's distracting you from being a life-giving person? What negativity has kept, has crept in and is keeping you from intimacy with Christ. It's very, very, very difficult to experience the power of God in your life if you're constantly weighing yourself against others, if you're constantly thinking about what you have done and haven't done and what you've accomplished and what you've yet to accomplish. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He's not saying that they were teaching some idol. He's just saying that the Jesus we preached to you was just Jesus. It was Jesus himself. It was Jesus as God. Romans 1.25 says, Don't trade God for the things he created. Don't worship and serve things that God created over the creator himself. Love him. Bow down to him. Number three, if you're going to be a life-giving person, you've got to avoid the bandwagon. Avoid the bandwagon. The bandwagon is all about us wanting people to be on our side and us being on the right side. I mean, how many Seahawks fans do we have in America now? Because people like to jump on the bandwagon. We like to go with whatever voice is the loudest. Galatians 2.13 says, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. It was okay for Peter to eat at either table. But when he had been eating at the Gentile table and moves to the other one out of the fear of those leaders, he's trying to please people. He's getting distracted, and he's just jumping on whichever bandwagon he he fears the most. Others follow us as we follow others. Others follow us as we follow others. Are you following the Lord? Are you following God? If you want to walk in life-giving relationships, you have to, number four, avoid spiritual pride. 
We want people to see us well. We want to impress people. We like to do that. And when Peter went back to that other table after the leader showed up, he was saying in not so many words that the Gentiles were wrong, that, that they weren't pleasing the right people. Verse 14, I said to Peter in front of, all, front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This is how this plays out. Let's say you kick a habit like smoking and you're really excited and you're feeling really good about yourself, but then you look around at all these other people that can't seem to kick that habit and then you put yourself above them. What's wrong with them? Why can't they do that? Why can't they get it together? Maybe you do something else. Maybe you've, you've conquered something else and you look around at the other people who can't seem to do it and you put yourself above them. Maybe you've read the whole Bible. You've read the whole thing. So now you put yourself above all the other people around you that haven't read the whole Bible. Maybe you pray and fast. So you put yourself above all the other people that, well, they pray, but they don't fast. That's what you got to do if you're really going to pray. You got to avoid that. It's dangerous. Maybe you're on the total other end. Maybe you feel like someone did something better than you. And now you feel like what you did just doesn't measure up. That who you are and what you do doesn't count because they did it better than you. What does that lead to? Leads to shame, leads to victimization. The characteristics of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Characteristics of the tree of life are what? innocence and freedom check this out you guys got to get into this here god doesn't only want to set you free from something he wants to set you free to something that's justification it goes farther than you could ever imagine he's not just setting you free from something he's setting you free to something check out galatians 2:20 i have been crucified with christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He states here a fact that is true of any believer, of any person who believes in God and Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have been crucified with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. We don't seek to be crucified with Him. We don't seek to live a crucified life. We have been crucified. Christ didn't only die a penal death. He not only paid the penalty for our sins. He died a substitutionary death. He not, he's not only the sacrifice for sin, he's the substitute for all who believe. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for me. He died in my place. I was crucified with him. I was buried with him in baptism. And by identification, I have been raised to life in Christ. How do I live? In Christ. He's alive today at the right hand of God. We're told that we have been put in Christ. Tell me, how do you improve upon that? You don't. 
The law crucified us. How do we get to life? Jesus Christ. He died for me down here that I may live for him up there. The life I now live in the flesh, the life I live in this body, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. Life by faith, salvation by faith, walking by faith. And any time I put the emphasis on what I do to attain righteousness, to attain a right standing with God, it means Christ died for nothing. And I'm working for myself. Life is already a lot of work. Have you noticed that? Life is a lot of work. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 11. I put it in a different translation just because a lot of us that have been in church for a long time, we've heard this verse countless times. I want you to have a, a fresh perspective. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you tired? Are you tired? Yeah. Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. I mean, it is amazing that in the midst of all these stressful, forceful elements of life, Uh, taxes and kids and the house and our jobs and and trying to get our marriage right and all the different things that are just stressful and forceful in our life. Jesus is on the scene and he says, come to me. Come to me and rest. Come to me and relax over here. Work with me. My yoke is easy. My burden, it's light. Follow me. And you won't have to constantly second-guess your eternity, second-guess your salvation. Come to me and be assured. Remember that beautiful hymn, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love, Jesus is on the scene today, and he's inviting you to come to him. He's saying, look at what I did for you. Look at who you can be. Let's work on it together. My burden is light. Would you come to him today, him and him alone? Let's pray together. Well, if you were to be totally honest with yourself today, you might realize that you've been living, that you haven't been living in God's environment. You haven't been in this life-giving environment. You haven't been a life-giving person. You've been draining life from yourself and others. And you're invited today to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be set free. To be set free from victimization and shame. To be set free from a list. To be set free from trying to earn something. To be set free from comparing yourself to others. Not only are you set free from something, you're set free to something. That's justification. You are set free to life in Christ. Set free to be devoted to Him. To serve Him. To work for Him freely. 
God, we thank you for this truth, for these promises. We want to be life-giving people. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.